Chapter Twenty Eight of Stories of Symphonic Music. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Stories of Symphonic Music by Lawrence Gilman. Section Twenty Eight. Schumann. Robert Schumann, born in Zwickau, Saxony, June eighth, eighteen ten died in Engdenich, near Bonn, July 29, 1856. Symphony Number no. 1 in B-flat major, Spring, Opus 38. Movement 1, Andante un poco maestoso, Allegro molto vivaci. Movement 2, Larghetto. Movement 3, Scherzo, molto vivaci. Movement 4, Finale. Allegro animato e grazioso. Although Schumann never publicly avowed it, the inspiration for this symphony sprang from a poem by Adolf Berke, 1815-1870, O Geist de Volke. The music was composed early in 1841. In October of the following year, Schumann sent a portrait of himself to his friend Berke, accompanied by an inscription consisting of the opening phrase of the symphony in notation and the words beginning of a symphony inspired by a poem of adolf bertke to the poet in remembrance of robert schumann the verses of bertke have been translated in prose as follows thou spirit of the cloud murky and heavy fleest with menace over land and sea thy gray veil covers in a moment the clear eye of heaven thy mist seethes up from afar and night hides the star of love thou spirit of the cloud murky and damp how thou hast frightened away all my happiness how thou dost call tears to my face and shadows into the light of my soul o oh, turn o oh, turn thy course in the valley blooms the spring the crux of the poem and the key to an understanding of the mood of schumann's music lies in the concluding line in the valley blooms the spring im tale blüht der frühling auf Schumann himself spoke of this work as a spring symphony, though it is not so titled on the score. In a letter to Spohr, he wrote, November 23, 1842, I composed the symphony, if I may say so, under the impulse of that vernal ardor which sways men, even at the most advanced age, and seizes them anew each year. I did not aim to portray or to describe, but I do believe that the season in which this symphony was conceived influenced its character and its form, and made it what it was. He wrote also on January 10, 1843, to Wilhelm Taubert, who was to produce the symphony in Berlin. Could you imbue your orchestra with something of the springtime mood? which I had particularly in mind when I wrote the symphony in February of 1841. The trumpet call at the entrance, 
i should like to have sound as if it came from on high like an awakening summons by what follows i might then suggest how on every side it begins to grow green how perhaps a butterfly appears and by the allegro how gradually all springtime things burst forth these it is true are fancies which occurred to me after i had finished the work i should like to say however concerning the last movement that i imagined it to suggest the departure of spring and i would have played it in a manner not too frivolous it will be observed that schumann makes no reference whatever in these elucidations to what he has elsewhere alleged as the particular source of his inspiration that the composer originally intended to give descriptive titles to the different movements has been declared with particularity and these are said to have been superscriptions he planned to use in movement one spring's beginning Frühlings begin in movement two evening abend in movement three merry companions for spring at the full fall of frühling the last of these would seem to conflict with what schumann himself wrote to talbert concerning the finale overture to byron's manfred opus 115 for byron's dramatic poem manfred schumann in 1848 wrote incidental music which was first performed at Weimar under the direction of Liszt on June 13, 1852, in connection with a version of Byron's work prepared by Schumann for the stage. The overture has, not unnaturally, survived the rest of the music to the poem, and has long been a familiar number in the concert room. It is of all Schumann's works, says Mr. H. E. Krabiel, the most profoundly introspective it is as consistently as the prelude to wagner's tristan und isoldi an effort to delineate soul states and struggles without the help of external things to understand it one must recall the figure in byron's poem the strong man torn by remorse struggling with himself bending supernatural powers to his will yearning for forgiveness and death, tortured by a pitiless conscience, living in a solitude which was solitude no more, but peopled with the Furies, condemned by his own sin to number. Ages, ages, space and eternity, and consciousness, with the fierce thirst of death, and still unslaked, the mood of the slow introduction into which the listener is plunged at once by the three syncopated chords at the opening is the mood of manfred weighed down by reflection old man there is no power in holy men nor charm in prayer nor purifying form of penitence nor outward look nor fast nor agony nor greater than all these the innate tortures of that deep despair which is remorse without the fear of hell but all in all sufficient to itself would make a hell of heaven 
can exercise from the unbounded spirit the quick sense of its own sins wrongs sufferance and revenge upon itself there is no future pang can deal that justice on the self-condemned he deals on his own soul the somberness says mr frederick Neeks, is nowhere relieved although contrast to the dark brooding and the surging agitation of despair is obtained by the tender longing regretful recollection of astarte the destroyed beloved one and when at last life ebbs away we are reminded of manfred's dying words to the abbot tis over my dull eyes can fix thee not but all things swim around me and the earth heaves as it were beneath me old man tis not so difficult to die from the first note to the last says mr w h haddow it is as magnificent as an alpine storm sombre wild impetuous echoing from peak to peak with the shock of thunderbolts and the clamour of the driving wind End of chapter 28